Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. This podcast is a place of exploration to learn and grow from each other on the journey to becoming our best selves. Let's get to today's show. Our guest today is Tara Kemp. Tara is a mental health coach, PhD researcher, writer, self-love advocate, and the founder of Reconnect Collective. So welcome to the show, Tara. Thanks so much for having me. So Tara and I, um, we have to thank our mutual friend, Caitlin Callahan, who introduced us and um, recommended for Tara to come on the show. So thanks so much to Caitlin. And so to get started, um, Tara, I know that a lot of um, the work that you do is around um, finding a, is around your relationship to food. And, and that's been a, a big part of the journey for you um, in, in terms of what you're doing now. So I'd love if we get started, maybe if you can talk a little bit about what that relationship has looked like for you and how your way of thinking has kind of shifted and changed over time um, to where you are today. Totally. Yeah. Lots of transformation there. Lots of things to say. I'll try to uh, keep it succinct and we can kind of branch off from there because I could talk about this all day. So yeah, you know, I, through my journey, I really see have, or have come to see, I guess I should say, you know, our relationship with food as a doorway to the inner work of building a better relationship with ourselves at the core, because that's what, that's what our relationship with food really is in so many ways. If someone is struggling with disordered eating, like I was when I was younger um, and like the women are that I work with, it's not about the food. You know, the food is this surface level thing and underneath all of it are all of the things that are leading us to use food as a way of coping in some regard. So for me, this started um, right before my freshman year of high school. And I was in a big life transition. And I know that uh, you just did a podcast on identity, I think I saw. And for me, it was a huge period of identity loss and also a period of puberty. And so like basically everything is changing. And I felt kind of like the foundations of who I thought I was, you know, that that self-image was kind of crumbling. Um, I had been a gymnast for a lot of years and that was my identity entity. And I ended up stopping gymnastics um, and deciding to quit gymnastics. That might seem, you know, if you were someone who played like a bunch of sports, it was like, oh, like I stopped playing soccer. That might not seem like a huge deal. But for me, I had been a gymnast for the entirety of my life that I have memories for. Like I have some of my earliest memories are me doing gymnastics. I started in like, you know, these little toddler classes when I was two years old. Like I don't even have memories of not doing it. And, you know, at my school, I was the gymnast. And like, that was my whole social group um, because I was constantly at the gym training and then I was going to meet. So all of this is just to say like, this was a really big deal for me at the time. Um, and the reason that I quit gymnastics was not because I fell out of love with the sport or I didn't want to be a gymnast anymore. Um, I had an onset of anxiety and uh, just felt like I didn't have control of my thoughts. And there were all of these, you know, fears and overwhelm coming up around performing skills that I had been doing forever. 
And it just got to a point where it was um, too much and it was taking a really big toll on my mental health and I ended up quitting. And so it was just a really confusing time for me um, where I felt kind of betrayed by my own mind and afraid of my own mind. And, um, you know, like I said, just this loss of identity, like who am I if I'm not Tara the gymnast? Um, that was how all of my parents' friends knew me. That's how all, you know, just like it was, it was who I was. Um, and so in the wake of that was when, you know, the disordered eating behaviors crept in. And it was one of those things that at the time I didn't really even recognize that it was happening. It wasn't a conscious choice, but it's one of those things that once you're in it, even if it's brought to your attention, as it was for me, it's hard to stop because now this is the thing that made me feel okay. Now this was the thing that gave me a sense of control that gave me a sense of, um, you know, to know, and it's almost like after a certain period of time, you kind of forget how to not, or like how to be normal again, like how to not think about things so much. So essentially it was, um, an issue of, of, you know, overthinking and obsession. A lot of people uh, categorize eating disorders as a form of OCD. And I really feel like that's what it was for me, where it was this thing that I was thinking about all the time. And, and I was okay. I was able to handle life as long as I was taking the compulsions <laughs> to manage the obsessions. And, um, but of course that's a trap that's, you know, putting yourself in a, your own jail cell. But at the time I didn't have the coping mechanisms um, or I didn't have healthy ways of coping, I should say. I didn't have skills for coping to help me manage all of these things, these big, huge things that I was feeling and going through. Um, and that I didn't even at the time, I don't know if I necessarily even had the words for, I just knew that it was like, okay, like, who am I? How, I guess I have to make a whole new friend group. I have to like, it was just, um, it was the thing that, that, kept me going through that time. And, you know, that's something, I guess, to go on a slight tangent that I think is important to recognize, you know, when I look back on that time, it's not like I am upset at, at, at all of that happening. I have a little bit of, uh, in a very weird way, you know, some gratitude for this thing that got me through that time. And, you know, that's not sustainable and it's not healthy. And so you also have to recognize, okay, like that coping mechanism played a role. It had, um, it, it had a purpose because it helped me get through a time where I had no other skills to help me get through it. And that was the thing that like enabled me to keep going and feel a sense of control and, and structure in my life, but it wasn't healthy and it wasn't sustainable. And so over time I had to learn new ways of coping, new ways of managing my brain, new ways of um, understanding myself, new ways of navigating emotions where I wasn't turning to a behavior that was ultimately hurting me, where I was turning to behaviors that actually served me and helped me. Um, so yeah, basically over time, um, you know, for me, food, um, to go back to the food piece, food became this really stressful thing. Um, because I, it was, it was kind of a short period of time that I felt like it was, uh, that I was unconscious to the fact that it was unhealthy. But then once it was brought to my attention, like I, like I mentioned, I didn't know what to do to change it. 
And the idea of changing it felt really scary and unsafe because this was the thing that was keeping me going. Um, and also, you know, there's, you know, the whole like living in a society where it feels really confusing because suddenly I was getting praised for being thinner and praised for being small. And I just started high school. So it was kind of like this new onset of identity as well. And so it was like, okay, now I'm getting into running and getting into dancing. And those are sports where it is idealized to have a thinner body. And so it was like, I was getting these pos this positive feedback for my body in certain places, negative feedback about my body in other places for people who had known me for a long time and were noticing the differences. And for me, it just felt, you know, just like confusing and I didn't know the way forward. And I was really seeking, you know, I, when I look back on that time, I have so much compassion for that version of myself for that season of my life, because I feel like, you know, that's when I started um, looking into nutrition and getting interested in, you know, potentially becoming a dietitian someday. That's when, um, and this was kind of like, say, you know, for, for all four years of high school, I was kind of navigating the roller coaster of trying to regain balance on these pieces. And like I said, looking back, it really does feel like so much of that journey was coming from a, a really pure place of wanting to take care of myself, like recognizing, okay, this isn't healthy. This isn't good for me. I don't want to restrict myself. But at that point, it kind of was a, a point of no return in, a in certain ways, at least for me at that time, that's what it felt like um, in terms of thinking about food more deeply, um, where it wasn't I feel like prior to that time, food was just food. There were no, there were no, there was no meaning placed on it. There wasn't good, bad. There wasn't right and wrong. It was just, these are all the foods. And, you know, my family growing up, we ate relatively um, healthy, like more whole foods, less processed foods, that type of thing. Um, we regularly ate things like tofu in my house, <laughs> um, lots of fresh vegetables and tons of fresh fruit. Um, but it wasn't ever, there wasn't a diet mentality in my house. I'm very grateful that neither of my parents um, projected that onto my sister and I. But that being said, prior to the onset of this, the disordered eating, food was food. And after, food was not just food. Food was this thing that I had put so much mental energy toward. And so I think that at that point, I was starting to explore, okay, you know, how can I build this relationship with food that feels freeing and that feels peaceful and that feels positive? Um, but I didn't feel like I could go back to a place where I wasn't thinking about it at all because... I had learned too much at that point. It was like, okay, I am starting to be curious about where our food comes from, like where it's sourced or what the nutritional value of different things is. And so I really, from like a very positive place, from not a disordered place, of course there's pieces of disorder because things are muddled and confusing and gray and that's life. But <laughs> from a really, you know, looking back on it, I really do feel like from a pure place, I wanted to find a way to interact with food that was, that was harmonious, that was 
this uh, really positive, beautiful thing because I saw those pieces of it. It was like, oh, food gives me energy. Food is nourishing. Food has all these vitamins and minerals and nutrients, but I wanted to do it in a way that removed the fear and that removed the stress. And I feel like that took me a really long time to get there because I wasn't, you know, at the time, um, I wasn't, uh, I didn't go into a treatment program. I, um, any of the specialists that my parents took me to just weren't helpful, whether, you know, and I don't know what that was. I wasn't making those decisions of the different people that I saw, but, um, I was given guidance that just didn't resonate with me and that even today I look back on and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that my parents, you know, were able to listen to me when I would tell them what happened in those meetings. And they were like, Oh yeah, that's not what you need. Um, but for me, that is why, um, eventually a plant-based diet was really helpful for me because I found this way of eating that resonated. And I felt like created that sense of harmony and created that sense of peace for me and not from a way of, Oh, you know, these foods are less calorically dense or these foods give me a reason to uh, restrict and eat less food groups or things like that. And I know that that can come up for some people, but at the time that I found a plant-based diet um, I had really done a lot, you know, that was like five years past me um, having the initial onset of disordered eating and being in, you know, basically a five year journey of trying to find peace. And I felt like in certain ways I had come to a good place of balance, but there was always this sense of like, just like things weren't fully lining up. Like I felt like I was like making it work. I don't know if you know the work of Brene Brown, but like Mm -hmm. that difference between fitting in and belonging, I felt like I had found a, I had found a sense of fitting in with food, but Mm -hmm. I hadn't found a sense of belonging. And for me, the plant-based diet felt like belonging. It just felt like, oh, like this feels right. Like it was like, oh, here's this way of eating that is healthy and nourishing for my body. And that is really positive for the longevity of our planet and is so much um, working more in harmony with what the earth needs from us and is so much gentler to the earth and makes me a better steward for our planet and um, is more compassionate in terms of Uh, I'm a very spiritual person. So like on an energetic level, like is, is doing less harm to, to animals and to life on earth, if you are including the planet as well. And so all of these different pieces just felt like, it just felt like this, like, if you were like, you know, looking at like when the, when the angels are like, Oh, like, it was just like, Oh my gosh, this is it. There's just like this, this glowing lightness to the fact that it was like, Oh, like this is a way of interacting with food where every part of it is beautiful and makes me feel good. And it helped me to kind of, like I said earlier, where um, after the disordered eating, I had felt this sense of like, I can't just go back to saying food is just food. Like I've learned too much. I want to keep being conscious and intentional about what I'm eating, but do that in a healthy way rather than unhealthy. And, um, I felt like this was it where it was like, oh, like this is a way to be really intentional and conscious about what I'm eating because I did care. I did care about, you know, how I was interacting with the earth, where I was putting my money, what I was putting into my body, like all of those pieces really mattered to me. And then I found this 
this way of doing that that felt really purposeful. And, and I think that one of, for, for me, one of the most healing things is that it was beyond me. It was no longer, okay, how is this food going to interact with my body? Or what is this food going to, what effect is it going to have? What is it going to do? What are the, what are the nutrition facts? Like, it was like, what is the bigger picture of what this food means and what making this choice means for myself and for the greater whole? And so to have this bigger purpose and also this kind of like collective mission that I was a part of, like there is a sense of like community and collective mission around veganism that resonated with me as I learned more about it. Um, so yeah, that, that for me was, was very healing and became a catalyst for me in looking more deeply at, you know, how I tread the earth in general, you know, how I think about my energetic interactions with everything and with everyone. And, uh, my values and wanting to live in alignment with my values, not just in the realm of food, but in every aspect of my life and thinking about, you know, what, how do I want to show up in this world? How can I show up as love? How can I, um, you know, hold a presence in this world that I'm proud of and leave this earth having made um, an impact or influence that feels really aligned and good to me. So that was way more long-winded than I meant it to be, but that is uh, a brief-ish summary of that piece. <laughs> oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, and there is, I was like, oh my God, I got to take so many notes because there's so much to dig into there. Um, I thought that was incredible. Um, and I'm like, oh, where do I start next is like the next question. I'm, I, I kind of want to maybe go a little bit back and kind of work our way through that journey because okay. I had some questions in there that I was like, I don't want to interrupt. Like that was utterly beautiful. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about kind of that start of that journey. And, and I, you know, I, it's so true what you were saying there around the fact that coping mechanisms and, and, and that whole thing that you said about not having the language for what you were going through is, was so poignant. Mm. Um, because I think that that is so true. Oftentimes we've kind of been through these struggles and in the moment we have no idea what is really happening. You're just kind of reacting and picking up whatever kind of works in the moment. Um, so, so I really, I just wanted to say, I appreciated what you said there because I, I think that that is so true. I think back to my own struggles and times when I've never, I haven't had the language to really talk through mm. what I've been going through and mm -hmm. how it takes time to really get that and understanding like sometime yes. down the road, hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. So I, yeah, so I just wanted to point that out and say that that's, that was really great. Um, but I'm curious, like, what is your relationship to that? I, I, you started to say it a little bit, but that you were talking about this idea of like your relationship to that version of yourself who was going mm. through those struggles. Like, can you talk a little bit more of like what that has felt like for you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that version of me. I have so much love for her. Oh man, I, I wouldn't be here today without her. And I love where I am now. And I know everyone says that, you know, when people ask you like, Oh, do you have any regrets? And it's like, Oh, like, no, because then I wouldn't. Have, and I, I, you know, yeah, agree with that, but the, it's, it's a different level. Um, my feelings around it. Like I just want to hold her because she was, she was so, 
lost. Um, like I said, you know, I look back on that and I really feel like I had these pure intentions, but I didn't have any guidance for what to do with these parts of myself. And I've kind of always had this sense of feeling um, different and misunderstood. And that, that time period in my life that was like at the highest level that those feelings have ever like lived in my body. And I really, I understand her now. And I wish that I could just sit with her and be like, I get it. Like, like I get it, you know, like yeah. nobody else gets it, but I do. Um, and today I can be that for myself. You know, um, it's amazing, but I now feel like I have the language and I've built relationships where I can be fully open and vulnerable and raw and just share all of my parts and know that it's a safe space for them to be held. But I didn't have that at the time. Um, and, and at the core, I can be that for myself now. But back then I didn't have the skills and I didn't know how, you know, I hadn't done that inner work yet to have the level of self-awareness, the level of body awareness, just the level of intuitive knowing and interconnection that I do now. And so I wish that I could go back and just be with her. Um, I feel like more than anything, what I needed back then was not the right dietitian or the right uh, treatment program or the right like person to tell me, like person to convince me to just eat. Like it, it wasn't about the food. I needed someone who could sit with me and help me understand my own mind and my own heart. Mm. And, and I feel like that's what I needed. And that's why I feel so resilient today. And I just trust that I can get through anything is because I am that for myself now. Oh, I, I absolutely love that. Um, I mean, I can relate a lot in terms of that feeling of like just feeling very misunderstood and feeling all that. Mm. I, I can totally relate to that. Um, and it's it's so true of that. The way that your relationship now is to that version of yourself has, is so powerful to what you who you are today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I commend you immensely for all of that. Yeah, I, let's go into, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about like a little more in depth on that journey, because it sounds like you had kind of these struggles where you were just not being given kind of the right um, person to kind of help you along that journey. Do you feel like you did eventually find um, kind of specialists that were helping you? Or do you feel like it really was something that you had to go through really on your own? Like, what did that really look like for you? Yeah, so I absolutely believe in the importance and power of having a guide. And um, in part, that's why I created uh, the signature program that I have today, Reconnect Academy. Like that was born from, you know, the basically decade of work that I did that I didn't feel like, like if I, I basically took everything that I learned in that decade and put it into a three month program because it's the program that I wish I'd had back then that I feel like would have been the thing that I needed. Um, I did eventually find a therapist, um, but it wasn't until, oh man, like seven years after I had needed it. (laughs) Um, And it was still really helpful at the time. 
And that process of working with that therapist and having that safe space and, and doing a lot of that work of building self-awareness and um, kind of rewriting my inner stories. I mean, this whole podcast called a, a new way to a new way of thinking. Like for me, it was recognizing all of these narratives that I had about who I was and that I had about what people thought of me or what it meant if I was this, or if I showed this part of myself and what people would think of me and being able to shift my relationship with those things and write and, and, you know, kind of like release the stories that weren't serving me and write a new story about them and have a new understanding of who I am and what it means to be me and that it's okay to be me. Um, I have a couple of, I'm, I'm really big on words and I have um, a couple of affirmations that I tend to always go back to. I mentioned that I always felt misunderstood. So I don't, um, I don't need to be understood by everyone mm. is one that I come back to. And also the really simple phrase of just like, it's okay to be me. Um, I'm highly sensitive. I have a lot of, you know, things affect me in ways that they don't affect other people. Uh, I require a lot of self-care. <laughs> to show up in the world the way that I want to show up. And those are things that I've felt shame around in the past. And to now say, you know, it's okay to be me. Uh, it's not my fault that I have certain wounds or certain needs, but it's my responsibility. And I don't feel shame around that. You know, that's something that is just what it is. And that's totally okay. And so, yeah, going through that process, um, working with that therapist at the time was incredible and so helpful. Um, I have so much gratitude for that time in my life. It was also the darkest time in my life. Um, going through that process is not pretty a lot of the time. Um, when you are calling forward and reckoning with things that you are not proud of or that you still hold shame around. It's not like the shame is just immediately lifted. It's like, oh, I have to sit with these pieces and then learn how to love them. You know, see the shame as uh, the guiding light towards the parts of myself that, that need healing from me, that need me to alchemize that into love um, and into acceptance and compassion. But first you just have to dig them up. And that sucks. Like that's really hard and really dark and really it's just such a struggle. So, you know, that was a really dark period of my life. Um, but also my most cherished because, you know, when you go there, you know, now there's, there's no part of myself that I'm afraid of because I've seen it all, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, if someone points out something, but, you know, if they're, if they're calling me out, I guess, in a certain way, either it's number one, not true, or number two, it is true, but I know, <laughs> I know that's there, you know, it's not something that I'm going to be defensive about. Um, of course I'm human. So, you know, I have my moments, but ultimately when I'm able to take that, that higher vision of things, you know, I know who I am. I know the things that I have to work on. I know the things that are, um, harder for me or that uh, are wounded within me and that I'm just ever learning to love. And that's the only way that things really heal is when we bring love to them, not when we bring criticism or try to eliminate those parts of ourselves. You know, they're just, 
things that we're being called to, to work with and work on. So anyways, that was really helpful to work with that therapist. And, um, that was all the things that I just talked about that I just kind of went on a slight tangent about, you know, um, it's not like I did all of that work with her, but she helped me get started and that there's no value that I can place on that. Like the amount of money that I paid for therapy that year was like astronomical because she wasn't within my, uh, insurance, my health insurance network, but the person that you find to work with, it is so important to feel a sense of connection and safety with that person. And she was one of the first people that I did feel that sense of like, anything I say here, I'm, I'm not going to be judged for. Like, it's all okay for me to just lay it out. And I trust the guidance that she gives me. I trust the words that she shares and, you know, the activities or practices that she recommends. And I, it was just like, I needed that. And so there's no value that I can place on that. Like, I feel great about every aspect of that uh, value exchange. And so, yes, basically, um, for me, that was what helped. And that, you know, on the other side of that, any lingering pieces with food that tended to come up from time to time that I felt like were difficult and I had to work through, when you make peace with yourself, that peace that you feel internally expands to every other aspect of your life. If there's any part of your life where you're not feeling peace or where you're not feeling wholeness, it's, it's about going back internally. You know, that's a sign that, oh, there's something within me internally that I haven't made peace with yet. And so recognizing that shifted everything for me to go back to the food piece. It was like, oh, all of this comes back to my relationship with myself and this process of doing the inner work. It was never about the food and it never is about the food. And obviously there are, you know, cases where someone's health is at risk based on their disordered eating behaviors and that needs to be addressed. But that being addressed is addressing a symptom. It's not addressing the root cause. And that is where that's what led me to my work. That's what led me to everything. That's why I'm doing the research that I'm doing um, in my PhD program. That's why I built uh, Reconnect Academy, my group coaching program. That's, that's That was the start of everything, was that journey that I went through and the realization of how transformative it is to sit, like it's so simple to know yourself and know your needs and take care of your needs it's like such a simple idea, but it's really complicated. You know, it requires so much uh, self-compassion. It requires so much, um, like we talked about, understanding the narratives, like that self-awareness piece of not just, I mean, self-awareness is so much more complex than I think it's given credit for. Like it's this idea that we just throw around, but self-awareness is like really heavy sometimes and really Absolutely. complex. Um, it can feel overwhelming to be like, oh my gosh, I'm having this thought, but I'm feeling this thing. And also this thing. I mean, when people ask me, how are you? It's like, do you want the 15 minute answer? Like <laughs> I'm a million things all the time. We're these complex beings. Um, so knowing and understanding the self and turning that into 
you know, your inner compass for what your needs are and how to live a life that is aligned. To me, that's, that's the root of it all. And um, so that's how I've gone into, you know, doing research to basically ask the question, like, is it just me or (laughs) is this reality? You know, can we say that this is evidence-based? And so wanting to, you know, bring, I'm someone that is both like super spiritually minded, but also super scientifically minded. Um, and so just having that evidence piece felt really important to me. I'm very like inquisitive and curious. And, um, so anyways, having that piece and bringing it forward to kind of support the programs that I'm creating and yeah, that just became the root of everything. I forget exactly where I was going to go with all that, but essentially that process is what led me to where I am today. Um, and is what like yeah, it was just like, this is amazing. And I want everyone to have the opportunity to feel the sense of inner peace and freedom and sanctuary, like sanctuary within the self. When you have that, you can do anything. Yeah. I, I love all that. Um, I will say it was interesting listening to you say all that because I, I feel like in many ways, your journey has been so much around identity. You know, you kind of um, Mm -hmm. had brought that up at the beginning and how, you know, going from my identity is all all encompassed in being a gymnast to like losing that identity and, and kind of working through this, the coping mechanisms and whatnot. And now kind of coming into your own and kind of figuring out, like, I think that's where the self-awareness that you were talking about really comes into play, right? Like, identifying, like, who am I really? And how do I really want to show up in the world? And what do I really want to be a part of my life? And what do I not? And so I feel right. like all of that really plays into kind of the the trajectory of where, where you've gone. Exactly. And what are the parts of identity that, you know, we so often we have these stories about oh, this part of me is wrong or this Mm. part of me is broken or this part of me isn't okay. And it's like, no, no part of you is wrong or broken or not okay. It's all okay. Sometimes we just have to work with certain parts differently, you know, but I think that's a a huge piece of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, when we talk about that whole self-awareness, but it's that it's looking at ourselves with curiosity instead of judgment, Mm-hmm. And being able to to not um, be looking down on ourselves for these these quote unquote negative aspects that are things that we just need to work through and and take a deeper look at. That's that's so much of that as well. Yeah, totally. I always say that you know that um, the duality of bringing both curiosity and compassion to yes. uh, kind of excavating the self and understanding the self. If you can do that you're golden. Like anything that comes up within you, whether it's a thought, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a sense of like whatever it is, or even a behavior that you've taken that you don't feel proud of, you know, like, you know, I think in those moments, it's so easy to jump to criticism. And um, if you can just bring like, oh, like, I wonder why I think that way, or I wonder why I ended up doing that and having compassion for whatever you find, like being able to be that safe space where it's like, any information that I find out about myself, it's okay. Mm. You know, I'm not going to judge myself for that. I'm going to, I'm going to bring love and compassion to that thing. Then that's when the true self-understanding really comes. Cause otherwise we're going to hide things from ourselves because we, we feel shame around them. 
you know? Absolutely. I mean, I always think back to this idea of like, you're doing the best that you can at that time, you know, like totally. you, you didn't have the language, you didn't have the skills or the tools that you may have now, but at that point in time, you were doing the best that you could and, and having mm-hmm. that respect for that version of yourself at that time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Beautiful. So I'd love to talk a little bit more. I know you kind of um, hinted a little bit, but talk a little bit more about the research you're doing and how you got into it. I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, as part of this journey for me, um, when I found plant-based eating, um, I dove headfirst into the plant-based nutrition space. Cause as I had mentioned earlier, you know, in high school, I had gotten interested in nutrition. And for a while I thought like, Oh, I want to study this and be a dietitian. I kind of moved away from that. But then when I found the vegan lifestyle, it kind of just like that my intro to it was from a health perspective um, to a degree. Actually, that's slightly not true. But anyways, for the sake of this story, I'll say that <laughs> early on, I got introduced to that piece and that resonated with me so much and just felt like this thing that I wanted to be a part of that I wanted to learn more about. And so um, for about eight years, I was working in the space of lifestyle medicine um, through plant-based nutrition. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what lifestyle medicine means. It essentially is, you know, preventive care or even um, care for a condition that someone already has that's rooted in lifestyle practices. So not something that uh, is just managing the symptoms, but something that's building a lifestyle to be health promoting long-term. But that in certain cases, you can use lifestyle, not just to prevent uh, illness and promote health, but also to, uh, like reverse chronic disease. So anyways, that's what I was doing. Uh, nutrition is a big part of that. It's not all of it, but a big part. And, um, you know, I loved working in that space. I still have, uh, tons of passion for lifestyle medicine, but while I was there, I just felt like so often in that space, they were missing the piece of this connection with the self. It was like, okay, here's the facts. Here's some nutrition education. Here's, you know, all these different like habits that you should be doing, but not recognizing that, you know, so many people know what to do. Like we know fruits and vegetables are healthier. We know whole grains are better than processed foods. We know that um, sleeping with the circadian rhythms and getting eight hours of sleep at night. And like, you know, we know these things. These are not things that you necessarily, people need to be taught. Um, I mean, we're living in an age of like biohacking and learning all these new little tips and tricks, but in general, when you look at, I always think about the blue zones, which are these areas of the world that have the longest lived people. And when you look at, you know, the lifestyle habits that promote longevity, it's not high intensity interval training workouts. It's not like all these intense things. It's not these superfoods. It's, it's really simple lifestyle habits that people just aren't doing, And so, so often people know what to do and they just aren't able to actually make those habits stick. And to me, that was like, okay, this is not about like drill it into their minds harder or like use this fear mongering approach where we make people afraid of having heart attacks and stuff. It was like, no, like there is something else at play here. And through my experience, I was like, I think so much of this is rooted in the relationship that we have with ourselves. And how so many people, especially being in the food space, use food as a coping mechanism. And 
so much of our relationship with food and the behaviors that we are taking and the habits that we have, so much of that does come back to the stories that we have about ourselves. And um, also to, you know, kind of like, I don't know if I would call it self-awareness, but I do put it under that umbrella of just being able to have the tools to navigate heavy emotions, to navigate discomfort, to not, you know, so often food is used just to numb or to distract or to, you know, just um, to cope. Life is hard. You know, if you're going to, you know, take the Buddhist approach, life is suffering, period. And we need tools to navigate that. And we aren't taught those tools by everyday life. And so food is one thing that happens to work with, you know, our, our dopamine and serotonin and like all these, you know, neurotransmitters and hormones and things that it's a really easy way to get instantaneous comfort, whether that's through restriction. Cause we do get, you know, a, a hit of dopamine when you restrict as well. And mm-hmm. if you get into that, that mindset. Um, but anyways, I digress. I'm getting kind of away from the point here. The point is that I felt like this relationship with the self and this mental, emotional, psychosocial understanding was missing from that conversation and was missing from helping people to build a healthy lifestyle. It was like, you're actually making people feel worse about themselves by trying to teach them healthy habits. Mm. Like that's not helping anyone. Um, so that was the catalyst for me going back to school, um, to get a PhD. Um, I decided this was an area that I couldn't find any research on and was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, I love writing. I had meant, as I mentioned earlier, I'm naturally inquisitive. I was always relatively like, you know, quote, good at school for what that's worth. So it just felt, um, I kind of felt like this moral responsibility or like obligation of like, okay, no one's asking these questions that I'm asking. I feel like they're really important. I know I have the skills uh, and capacity to go do this work. I feel like I have to go do it. Um, and so I found, um, an interdisciplinary health program at Northern Arizona university. It was the first year of the program. So that was, um, an exciting find. And, um, I'm, I'll be finishing hopefully this December, which puts me five years in, um, similar to like when you're in med school, like I technically have my PhD, Um, but the technical term is PhD candidate. Anyways, I'm, I'm doing research, uh, that focuses on veganism and disordered eating specifically. So it's looking at how does a vegan diet influence a person's relationship with food? Um, because in the space of disordered eating, that's often seen as a red flag. Like if someone wants to be vegan while they're in treatment or while they're recovering, um, that's seen as a form of the disorder, as a manifestation Mm -hmm. of the disorder. There's, you know, it's seen as this is restrictive. This is removing food groups. This is putting morality, good and bad on food. um, And that's unhealthy. But being in the space now, I've been vegan for almost 11 years, um, myself included, but also, you know, literally hundreds of people that I've either come in contact with or, um, read, uh, excerpts from, you know, their own reflections or that I've worked with personally feel that a vegan diet was helpful for their process of recovery and helpful for healing their relationship with food. And that's not hundred percent. Like, I'm not saying that that is everyone. There are plenty of people where it is. 
a manifestation mm-hmm. of the disorder where it is a way of covering things up. But to me, that complexity needs to be explored because there are a lot of people, you know, especially as a plant-based diet is growing, um, you know, the number of people who are eating a plant-based diet has uh, at least doubled in the past five years. And so looking at those stats and understanding the context of this world, this changing world that we're living in, it's really important to understand that because there are people who decide not to go to treatment when they really need it because they're being told they won't be allowed to maintain uh, this dietary pattern that holds immense value for them. You know, when, when people are, um, when they enter treatment, religious values are respected. And for some people, veganism is to that same degree of, you know, a a moral compass, a moral understanding of how they want to interact with the world. And it can be traumatizing to um, be told that you have to eat something that for you, you have a, a, a really strong, like moral value system against eating. Um, so anyways, there's, that's a really comp, there's lots of things that I could say about that whole thing, but basically I felt that it was important to explore this topic, to explore this question of how does a vegan diet influence a person's relationship with food, which based on just, you know, anecdotal evidence can be positive or negative. And what is the difference? What creates that difference? What are the factors that um, lead a vegan diet to be beneficial, to be supportive, to be healing, or that um, make it hurtful and and uh, hin- as a hindrance to recovery for someone? Um, and so that's what my research explores. And um, yeah, you know, most of the research, there's very limited research. There's only like 35 studies that have ever been done on a, specifically a vegan diet. We've got more research on vegetarianism, but there is something fundamentally different about veganism. Um, so anyways, looking specifically about veganism and disordered eating, there's only about 35 studies um, to date that have been done on that topic. Um, and none of them are a qualitative approach. And I'm someone who really feels like, you know, numbers are amazing and really helpful when looking at like kind of broad general ideas um, or, you know, general change over time in certain statistical ways of looking at things. But I make sense of the world very emotionally and very like personal story wise. And so I um, chose to do my research doing long form interviews with people speaking with them for 60 to 90 minutes, sometimes more about their personal experience. And, you know, basically similar to this podcast, like getting people's stories, you know, how do you make sense of things? It's Mm -hmm. called um, phenomenological research, which is basically Um, understanding a person's lived experience. And so I um, did a bunch of interviews with people and um, yeah, so now I'm, you know, going through the coding and analysis and um, writing the dissertation itself, but I feel like I was really long-winded there again. Hopefully that was all helpful, but um, that, that is what my research is. And that's what I'm working on, on the research end of things. No, that's incredibly helpful. I, I, well, first off, I want to say I love the idea that you saw that this was a question that people weren't really addressing and you were like, well, why can't I address it? So I, I want to mm. first say that that is 
really um, astounding, right? Because oftentimes we will see those things and we'll be like, well, someone else can figure it out. And to take that on and be like, no, I think Mm. I want to figure that out is really cool and really great. Um, So I first want to say that. But then the other thing, um, I loved all, all, all the things, the specifics that you were talking about, because the dynamic that you were talking about in terms of it, you know, oftentimes in in the realm of eating disorder recovery that they have seen this as a negative and people seeing it as a restrictive diet and then on the flip side of it being like well if you look at veganism itself it's usually oftentimes um around self-compassion or compassion to all beings and you know there's so much more involved in it and so i i could definitely relate to what you were saying um I've been slowly actually kind of um, taking things out of my diet from that perspective Mm. because I, um, you know, I follow yoga and um, there's a lot around veganism in that. So I can definitely understand that. Yes, exactly. And so that whole idea of what you just said there where, you know, that idea where you're saying, well, you have to eat, you know, a full diet, like you're not allowed to be vegan if you're going to be in our program. Like I can see how hurtful that could be because it is such a fundamental principle of who you are as a person to not be eating meat, for example. Um, so I, I appreciate the nuance to that and the fact that everyone's going through a different journey and has, and especially, I mean, your relationship t- to food is so interesting because it's something that you are going to be dealing with for the rest of your life because we all have to eat to live, mm-hmm. you know? And so just the the idea where it's that you have to really go on this journey, you know, and 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 be confronted on it with from it on a regular basis is something that's so compelling and you know may not be the case for other um disorders but is something s- so specific with food because we have to um eat to live. So right. uh, yeah, so I I just wanted to point that out, and I I think it's it is really compelling just the idea of what is that um, you know how how is someone actually relating to veganism versus their eating disorder, and how how do those things um, kind of interplay, and that it's not a one size fits all equation, which it sounds like oftentimes the treatment can look like, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's really interesting work. So I, I um, really commend you for that. I'd love to talk a little bit about um, Reconnect Collective then on the flip side, because I know that's the other big um, piece of what you're working on. So I know that you were talking about how that's kind of a condensed version of all the work that you've done. But can you go a little bit more into what have you really brought into that? Like, what does that really look like? Um, and go into that. Yeah, you know, Reconnect Collective... Um was something that I started about two years ago and it's been so fun to build. And I'm really excited for next year because thus far I've been building this this business and these these programs while also doing my PhD. And so being finished with the PhD and being able to really dive in fully, I'm so excited to be able to grow all of that and add, you know, I have so many ideas for all these different, you know, new programs and features that I want to add to it. But essentially, Um, Reconnect Collective houses a number of different programs that help people to reconnect with food, with their body and with themselves through the inner work, as I mentioned. And um, Reconnect Academy is the signature program that is part of that. I also have retreats. Um, I plan to have a podcast as well and, you know, some other DIY style um, online course type thing. 
things, but Reconnect Academy is really like the core of, of what I do now and what I plan to do long-term because this is, this is work that is, is deep. You know, this is something that um, really requires, as you mentioned earlier, when you asked me about, you know, did I think that it's important to find, you know, a teacher or um, uh, some sort of treatment program, like having some sort of guidance in this process is really helpful. Um, You know, I really believe that, well, I guess I will say that in tandem, I believe that long-term it is important that we are able to hold and be for ourselves what we need. And of course, we're not meant to do life alone. So I always believe in the power, you know, I'm, I'm always working with, you know, like a different, a new coach on this part or, you know, finding guidance in other areas, finding other programs that resonate with me. So this, that's not to say that I think you should do it all on your own. That being said, I really believe in empowering the individual to have that self-understanding and, and to be their own guide and compass, because at the end of the day, no one can know us like we know us. No one can feel into our uh, emotions or thoughts or truth, our inner knowing, our intuition, no one can feel that but us. And there can be, you know, I, I love shopping at the buffet of like experts and information, but at the end of the day, you have to come back to what feels true to you. And so I want to give people the ability to have that for themselves and to know themselves, to build that connection with themselves that is unbreakable and that enables resilience long-term because if you have self-awareness and you have self-compassion and you have all these tools to navigate discomfort, to navigate the difficult emotions, then yes, you know, life will always have up and downs, but that won't break you. That's something that you know that you have the the tools to navigate and to to weather the storms of life, Um, especially without falling into these old patterns of behavior, which for the women that I work with are primarily around food and body. So, so that's a big piece of it. Um, You know, another piece that I feel really strongly about is this sense of community around it. Um, Within Reconnect Academy, there are pieces of working individually with me, there are pieces of working with the full community and then in, in small groups and having this communal space where you show up and talk about these issues and talk about these parts of yourself that you've held shame around and hear other people talking about those parts that they feel vulnerable about too. And just, you know, it's amazing how often people will be part of this program and say things like, you know, this group of women knows more about me than my closest friends. Mm. And it's, it's so, I mean, to me, there's, there's beauty in that in being able to cultivate that space, but there's also, you know, at a cultural level, a sense of heartbreak for me that people aren't having these conversations for me talking about, my emotions or talking about things that I feel like I'm working through internally, whether it's at the mental level or the, you know, physical, emotional level, like that's very normalized because I do it every single day (laughs) through my work and through my coaching. (laughs) But for most people, that's not normal. Those aren't the types of conversations that they have with their friends. I can be a little much at a dinner party. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so for most people, that's not normalized. And I want that to shift at a cultural level. But in the meantime, it's so important to cultivate that space. And that's something else that Reconnect Academy does is it gives people a space where they feel seen and they feel heard 
and they feel normal and they feel okay because it is normal and okay to have these things and to feel like you're not alone. Um, and like you have this group of people that you have a sense of camaraderie and community around this inner work and healing process that you're going through. And you can cheer people on and, and hold that higher vision. I'm very much into like visualization and, and all of those. Um, I feel like that's a sense of inner work. Um, I believe that spirituality is also key to inner healing, mm. but to hold that higher vision for yourself and to see yourself in this really positive light. But not only be able to do that for yourself, but have other people see that for you too. Like have other people see you as that highest, best self version of you and who don't judge you for these pieces that you've held so much judgment around yourself. That really helps you to create that new identity and shift that narrative about who you are. And so I really strongly believe in the, the group aspect of it as well. Um, but that's, that's reconnect Academy. And like I said, that's the signature piece. And then I host retreats and I, you know, have my research and, um, I have an affirmation deck and things like that, but you know, that's reconnect Academy is where, where like the big transformation happens and where those, those deep, uh, relationships of, of change and growth, like that's, that's where like the real work and, uh, outcomes I feel like come from yeah I um I feel like that whole thing that you were saying around there that community space or just seeing yourself reflected in someone else of like the struggles and the journey that you go through and because I I can imagine that um especially in something like an uh, eating um disorder that it can feel very lonely of a journey right that it's it's oh, just absolutely. all in your it's head so isolating Right. And so and the disease itself is isolating, mm. you know, to, to struggle in that way. It's something that you end up isolating yourself from other people about because of some level of shame or fear. Right. Absolutely. And so just that whole idea where it's like, you are kind of going like closing yourself off more and more. And so I can imagine that finding this space and being able to a, have the support of someone, um, and B, be able to have a community of other people who are going through similar struggles can be so empowering to say that I'm not alone and other people have similar struggles. And yeah, as you said, normalizing it, that is incredibly powerful to that, yeah. that sense of it's okay. You know, like I am not going through something completely by myself. Right. And, and I really have a very strong belief um, that, and this actually relates to, I was going to correct myself. I had, I had mentioned the word disease and I, I'd like to not mm. refer to it as a disease. I don't believe in it in that way. I don't think about it in that way. To me, the majority of the population, especially um, those who identify as female or grew up identifying female in whatever regard, it, at a collective level, there's usually some level of disordered eating. You know, because society normalizes disordered eating. You know, I think back to high school and it was like, oh, you know, it was it was super normal to like not eat the day of a school dance because you wanted to look good in your dress. Or it's really normalized to um, say things like, oh, like I'm being good today. Like I'm not going to have that. I'm being good. Or um, to, you know, do a cleanse to loot just like that we these ideas around like thinness is better and, you know, all these different pieces. Basically, I just feel like disordered eating thoughts and behaviors are normalized. And so this is not something 
you know, in the programs that I have and in the work that I do, I don't feel like I'm speaking to this really small, you know, I think that it's something like, I should know these stats, but I actually don't. I want to say it's something like five, five percent of the population um, has dealt with something like anore- with uh, anorexia or binge eating disorder. Anyways, I should look those up. <laughs> it's been a while since I've written those stats. Um, but in any regard, I don't see my work as, as being for that really small subset of the population. I see it as being relevant to anyone who is, I mean, the inner work piece is everyone, but in terms of like the food and body pieces, it's like, I would guess 95% of people, because if you grow up female in this country, in our culture, you're going to be inundated with these messages about what you should be, what you should look like, what it means about you if you do, what it means about you if you don't. And those ideas, you know, they overtake your brain and they shift the way that you think about yourself. And it's it's our job to rewrite that story. It's our job to heal those parts of ourselves that have been wounded by our culture. So anyways, I digress. But this is all just to say that I think it is all very normal and way more of a shared experience <clears throat> than people realize. And I see my work as speaking to to whatever extent people experience that for everyone, not just something that is for this like really small subset of the population. That is incredibly true. I mean, I, I definitely can agree with that as also as a female who has grown up in American society, it's, I, there is definitely an aspect where I think all of us have had to confront like what the idealism of what a female body should look like over and which has changed and shifted over time, which is even more confusing. I think, you know, Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it definitely what you were saying earlier about when you're um, when you were a child and or when you were a, a teenager and being praised for being skinnier and, you know, and just all the levels of, of having that kind of feedback come back to you is so confusing, especially at that young age. Um, so I, I think that no matter what, whether or not you've had disordered eating in the past or not, we definitely have had some influence on what our body image is in compared in comparison to what is the ideal. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you. It is all of us in, to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think let's um, kind of start wrapping up here. And I have kind of okay. like a five guest questions I like to throw in at the end. So let's kind of pivot over to that. Um, Before we do that, actually, is there anything else that you want to cover off on that we haven't talked about so far? No, it feels great. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So first question is, how would you describe your current relationship to yourself? Yeah, I'd say that I feel the most integrated that I've ever felt. And I think that Mm. I would have said that for like the past eight years, but it just keeps feeling more and more so like, like I know myself and I feel really comfortable with myself and I feel just more and more able to live out that truth without needing to prove anything and without feeling like I need to apologize for it and just feeling really safe and content in being myself and excited to continue seeing where that takes me and, you know, honoring the spaces where I feel like I have strengths and where I can see myself blossom and expand and also being totally okay with the places where, you know, other people 
are expanding in different ways or shine a little bit brighter and just feeling really good about what I am and what I contribute and not feeling like that needs to be anything in particular. Like it's, I'm, I feel very integrated in a way of um, like living in alignment with my values, but also at peace in a way of just being content and being me. I love that. And I feel like all the work that you're doing very much speaks to that idea where it's like, Mm. it all just kind of like flows with, you know, the journey that you've been on. Okay, so the next question is, what is the best lesson that you've learned recently? I, for years, have been a big proponent of being self-aware, as we talked about here, of being aware of your body and being connected to your body. And last year, I learned the lesson of that, not just at the level of paying attention of, you know, does my body feel tired? Does it need rest? Does it uh, need, um, how does it feel when I listen to this type of music? Okay, pay attention to that and, and follow that. Like, not just... Um, you know, what lights me up and those levels, but at the level of literally the nervous system and Mm -hmm. recognizing that our nervous system is this unconscious thing that is always assessing our environment and giving signals to our body. And even if slash when we are doing things that feel good in a certain regard, that feel exciting or that feel purposeful, Um, or even when we're doing, you know, something like exercising or working really hard ways that, uh, society values or that we know are like quote healthy, we can still, um, our nervous system can be interpreting that differently. And it's really important for us to be paying attention to how our nervous system is responding to the environment around us and to, at the most basic level, like before anything else, make sure that our nervous system, yeah, that our nervous system knows that we are safe in this world and in this environment and in this season of life. Um, that's something that for me, I, um, I'm really high functioning. I can function when it's stress. And um, in 2020, uh, there was a lot of like <laughs> obviously global love stress and a lot of stress within my internal family releases of that. And um, I built my business in that year. I'd been doing private coaching, but I built Reconnect Collective and, you know, really built it out to house these other programs at that time. And all of those things were really amazing. I don't know. This is probably a way longer lesson than you were asking for. <laughs> no problem. Um, I promise I will make it short in this moment. Um, but (laughs) basically, you know, I was doing things that felt good and that I cared about. And I was training the hardest, um, as a runner that I had ever trained and those things felt good and felt aligned and felt awesome. Like I wasn't living out of alignment in any way. I was being emotionally supportive to my friends and family and I was taking care of myself and I was doing all the things, but I was not noticing those little signs of, of the stress getting to me at a, at a, at a deeper level. Hmm. And, um, because, you know, I had been a PhD student who was also running a business, who was also doing all these other things. And I've been doing that for a long time and it had been okay. 
but there's a point at which, um, you know, starting to notice like my sleep shifting and I didn't take that hint or, you know, just little things like that, where it was like these little indicators were coming in that it was like, okay, I'm like logically, I'm doing all the things that I know are helpful for me. I'm taking breaks. I'm meditating every day. I'm, you know, doing all these pieces. I'm keeping up with my relationships. I'm yada, yada, yada. But the nervous system, it's, it, it's not logical in the same way that emotions are not logical. You can't outthink an emotion. Um, you have to honor it. And so my body was asking for a break. So last year was my, my year of learning to be very self-aware of my nervous system, which is a different level of self-awareness. It was like just integrating that deeper level and recognizing how so much of basically everything that we're responding to in the world or that we feel a certain way about comes back to our nervous system and to the way that, or, uh, and comes back to, I guess, to state it differently than I was going to, um, the messages that our body is receiving based on our interpretation of the environmental cues. I feel like I could have come up with a way more succinct uh, <laughs> and clear lesson, but that's the lesson that feels biggest to me is this understanding of the more that we can do to create a calm nervous system, the more that we will feel able to do everything else in life. Like Maslow's hierarchy, like the base below all the other things like to create that safety underneath that should be a foundation that says like nervous system awareness, <laughs> yeah. like polyvagal theory. Um, so anyways, that's the lesson that I would share is to, is that understanding where our nervous system is um, and how it's responding to our environment and learning how to calm ourselves at that level, not just the level of the thinking brain, but at the level of the physical body. And working with that piece is, is like the underlying piece of it all. Yeah, no, um, I, so a lot of what you said resonated a lot with me um, from the, I'm, I'm doing a coaching program right now. And, um, but mm. I, it's true, like, even in my own self, like what I've noticed is that oftentimes, I don't think I'm stressed but my body is clearly stressing yes. out and all these signs are popping up. And I'm like, wait, even though I'm thinking I'm not stressed, I really am stressed clearly at a deeper level. So I, I can definitely relate to that feeling. I've been feeling that a lot. So, Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting, you know, prior to that, to me learning all of those pieces and I, you know, dove headfirst into polyvagal at the start of 2021 to really understand what was happening. Prior to that, you know, I had been getting into, you know, I'd, I'd been using things like tapping and breath work for years, not mm -hmm. recognizing that those are what's helping the nervous system. But right. it was, it was that awareness and that self-understanding at like an even deeper level that was just so critical and so foundational to all these other pieces. And that helped a lot of things click into place for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And now I, you know, of course, everything that I learned, I now like <laughs> add that into my programs and teach it to others as well. Um, but yeah, for me, I'd say that like at a big picture level, that's definitely um, one of the biggest things that I've learned. Amazing. Okay. So what do you consider most valuable to be to you right now? And it does not necessarily have to be something physical. Yeah. 
I'd say that most valuable to me right now is um, my connection to the divine. Mm. Um, for me, that is that is what makes navigating this human experience um, <laughs> possible uh, at with, with a perspective that enables me to show up in the world the way that I want to and be the person that I want to be and um, feel purposeful, feel centered, feel at ease. For me, it all comes back to my understanding of that bigger picture and my feeling of connection and for me, like that's, that's where so much of my peace comes from. My peace comes from feeling spiritually connected um, or I guess just having a spiritual, you know, connected to that spiritual perspective and to knowing myself, like self-understanding and spiritual connection. Like for me, those two pieces equal inner peace and inner peace is the most underrated thing about being human that we all <laughs> should seek. Um, I guess I don't like to use shoulds, but I recommend seeking. So if that aligns with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd say that the most important thing to me right now is um, my connection to the divine. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. So I'm, I'm right there with you on that inner peace journey. <laughs> mm. So Okay, last one, which is interesting off of what you just said, but what is the number one skill you believe that everyone should work on? Um, you can let me know if this answer feels like... I, I struggle sometimes with like answering one thing, but as we mentioned earlier, that combination of curiosity and compassion. To me, if you're able to stay open to learning new information about yourself and about other people. And if you're able to hold, hold the space of compassion for whatever you find when you open the door with curiosity, then you can learn anything ever and you can feel at ease about all of it and alchemize anything into a healing learning process of love for yourself or connection with another person or whatever that might be like curiosity and compassion I could list a million things I think there's a lot of skills <laughs> but I'll, I'll stick the, with that one yeah I love the pairing I I have no issue with that I think they they really do go hand in hand with each other you know it's it, I think that that's that's a great answer frankly in my book um <laughs> perfect <laughs> well thank you so much Tara I feel like we could talk for a much longer time and maybe mm. we'll have to one day do a part two. <laughs> okay. Perfect. I'm here for it. Amazing. So um, thank you so much for coming on a way of thinking. You can find Tara um, on Instagram at Tara Kemp underscore or at her website, reconnectcollective.com. Um, thank you again, Tara. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Yes, you too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to A Way of Thinking. If you loved this episode, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends. 
I hope some of the beautiful wisdom shared today resonates with you and perhaps creates some change in your way of thinking. Remember that I believe in you and I am so excited for the day that you believe in you too. Let's continue learning and growing together. 